So it's kind of unfor- kind of unfortunate in a sense because you know we're doing this transform living thing, which is great. I hope you all are enjoying the books. Are you reading them and doing the workbooks? Um, it's been great. These texts are so great today, and and I kind of want to be preaching about them, but I also want to be preaching about this transform living thing because it's so important and it's so vital. And today the theme is about being present and being present here at church. And that's important, I think. If you remember the first week we talked about, it was a sort of a preparation. It was we, The um, author of the book called it Priming the Pump. And it was about the fact that commitment, making a decision to be committed is what primes the pump. And then last week, we talked about prayer, the drawing of water. We had that text from uh, uh, about the woman at Samaria, if you recall, and how um, she was given that water for eternal life. And today, and I, so I hope that you thought about your prayer life and how important that was to getting in contact with and connecting with conversation with God and how that can feed you spiritually. Today we come to the next part of commitment with our study, which is about church attendance, which is, again, like preaching to the choir, right? Right? You're here, so you know about church attendance. But... I want to talk today about five reasons why it's important to be committed to church attendance. And they talk about this section, this third section of the book. It's called Jumping In With Both Feet. And if you read the book, I mean, the very best story I could say about it was the old 90-year-old, not that 90-something is that old Al, but um, (laughs) it's a little old, but not that old. But, and I have to say, you know, we talked about D&L this morning because the very first week of this study, who should be here? You know, we've had terrible weather on Sundays. And the very first week that we were going to do this Sunday school thing was the week that we had that sheer ice out on the roads. And it was just, you know, like, oh, we can't catch a break here on this stuff. So I walk in, I think, oh, this is going to be hopeless. But who's here but D? Little Miss something, who makes it a point to get here for Sunday school because she wants to talk about this book. And so these two guys, who have every reason to say, we can't make it, we're old, we've been there, we've been doing Sunday school for 60-some years, we're over it, right? And they're here. Talk about commitment and presence. And in the book, they talked about that 92-year-old woman who the pastor says, had the very same sort of thing. It was an icy, horrible Sunday. They tried to make a decision, should we cancel church, should we not cancel church? And he gets to church thinking nobody's going to be there, and who's there but a 90-plus-year-old woman waiting for him when he gets to church? And he says, you're the last person I would have expected to see at church today. And she said, well, I've made a commitment to be here 48 Sundays. 
I committed to being here for 48 Sundays this year, and I've got plans for those four Sundays I won't be here. This is not one of the Sundays that I've not planned to be here. So I have to be here today. I made a commitment to God. So I pretty much could end the sermon there, I think. But I've got time. So we're going to talk a little bit about why church presence is important. And this is not for you because you know why, right? You're all here. So what should you do with this message today? Give it away, okay? I want you to give this message away to somebody else. I want you to think about, as we're talking, is that why church attendance is important to me? And if it's something that's important to you, Share it with somebody else, okay? Share about it. Share it with somebody else. Now, the very first reason that being here is important is by far the one that's more important than anything else. It's because God wants you to be here. God wants you to be here as a part of his family. Now, in that lesson, in that reading of Psalm 23, and I know, forgive me, some, some of you may be, feel a little peeved that we read it out of the message because you like that traditional version, right? And I do too. But I loved that one line that came in that very last section that we read. It said, Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. Is that beautiful? Your beauty and love, this is God's beauty and love, chase after me every day of my life. And so I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. How can you resist that? How can you resist the beauty and love of God that chased you all the way to the cross? How can you resist the beauty and love of God that chased you into creation? How can you resist the beauty and love of God that has chased you to worship this morning? When Janice talked two weeks ago, she talked about that powerful message about the Israelites worshiping God out in the, in the wilderness and how they just were moved by their experience of God to just worship God in an overwhelming way. How can you resist the beauty and love of God that has chased you here this morning and who will chase after you this afternoon? and tonight, and tomorrow, and all the days of your life. The very first reason why it's important to worship is because it's hard not to. How can you not? When you have God running after you like this, it's ridiculous. God is crazy for you. The second is that this is God's family on earth. This is the place where God wants us to practice love. 
this is the place where God wants us to practice being a family. And I use that word intentionally because if you know anything about families, families are messed up groups of people. I don't know about yours, but my family had some issues. God wants us to practice that here. God wants us to practice being family together here. And God wants us to be together as family often. To worship together. To help us encourage one another. We had this whole big thing, and honestly, people didn't think it was important as I thought it was important today about the word encourage. I thought that was a very important thing. And Linda went on about the glossary in the back of the book. So obviously, she didn't think it was that big a deal. Okay, during Sunday school, but I'm going to say it again because I thought it was important. About what it means to encourage someone who from Sunday school can remember. What does, it, what does encourage mean? Bill. Okay, great. See, nobody thought it was that important. Okay. To encourage someone means to fill with courage, right? To fill someone up with courage. To encourage someone is to fill someone up with courage. Now, why would we need to be filled with courage? Because it's hard to be a Christian in the world, isn't it? It is for me. It's hard to go out every morning or day or night or whenever to go out and to say, I am going to let Christ be the thrust and focus and passion and center of my interactions with everybody I meet. Yeah, Sharon's going, mm-hmm. Well, you're a salesman too, so. <laughs> oh, low dig. Okay. That was a joke. It's hard to be a Christian, isn't it? It's hard. And so we come together here to encourage one another, to fill one another up with courage to say, you can do it, Craig. You can do it when that truck is driving you crazy, when that lineman won't get off that pole. I've heard all about it. When you drive four hours to fix somebody's truck and they're like, no, sorry, not right now. It's hard to be a Christian right then, I'm guessing. But we're here to help you. We're here to fill you with courage. Lexi, we're here to fill you with courage after you've been trapped at home with those sick boys for two weeks. And you haven't felt well yourself. We're here to fill one another with courage when we're having health problems. When someone we know is having health problems, to say, help me, let me encourage you, because I'm your family, and God's put us here together. That's why it's important to be there. And, you know, the thing is, we were talking today, because you said it in Sunday school, so I'm sure it doesn't mind. Karen and Bob were saying how their kids, you know, are all in different stages. You don't care, right, if I talk about this. 
of different stages of relationship with the church. And many people said here the very same thing, that their children are at different stages where they're just not getting, you know, why are mom and dad going to church all the time? You know, mom and dad come to visit us and they're looking for a church. What's up with, they're crazy. Mom and dad are kind of crazy. But you need to know why it's important to you so you can tell them. You can tell them. Dee said today, she said, my daughter, you know, she, the surgery went well Friday. And Dee said, it would have been nice if you'd had a church family to be around you, right? Because she's far away. It's hard. Life is hard, and we're there to hold one another. Now, I want to talk about why people don't go to church. Mainly it's because of us. People don't come to church because guess who they're going to find there? Us. They're going to find people just like them. And people don't want to find people at church. Right? Surprise! We're people just like you, and we've got, we're messed up people too. In fact, we're quite proud of the fact that we're really messed up. We're so messed up that we love it because that means God loves us that much more, right? That's an invitation. You are so messed up. Why don't you come to church with me? But it's true. It's true. People say, people at churches are so messed up. And you go, yep, that's right, pretty much. Or they're too busy. They're too busy to come to church. And that's a sad one. And, it, and they had this wonderful story about President Garfield. We don't talk about President Garfield near enough. But after his inauguration, he was a very um, religious man. And one of his new employees, one of the bureaucrats at the White House said, um, we have an important emergency cabinet meeting tomorrow, the very first one you're going to have with your cabinet. Um, and it's important that you be there. It's at 1030. And that happened to be a Sunday morning. And Garfield said, well, what do you mean? What do I mean? Well, I mean that you're going to have an emergency cabinet meeting tomorrow at 1030. To which Garfield said, I'm sorry, I already have another commitment tomorrow morning at 1030. And his advisor said, but you don't get it. This is your very first cabinet meeting, and it's an emergency. This is an important meeting. And Garfield said, I'm sorry, but I have a more important meeting than that at 1030 tomorrow. And the staffer looked at him and said, what could possibly be more important than an emergency cabinet meeting as the president? And Garfield said, every Sunday morning, I have a very important meeting with my Lord and Savior and the God who created me. And I will have that meeting every Sunday morning at 1030. If you'd like to put your meeting off until 1230, I'll be happy to attend. Otherwise, you can go on without me. That's a pretty powerful statement. Isn't it? It's a pretty powerful statement about where priorities are. 
Another reason, and we talked about this today, and Dee was so great about that. Dee talked about the fact that sometimes people don't come to church because they get their feelings hurt. Or they don't like something. And Dee said that there's been things here that she hasn't liked. I was shocked. I was utterly shocked by that. But she said, that's not why I come to church. That's not why I come to church. It's not about me, it's about God. I come to church to worship God. I'll be fine. Now, today is another special day, which is really, this is a treat. Okay, now this Bible study, as you may know, was written by a Methodist. This is for you, Charlene. It's good you came here today. Because Charlene said today they really haven't found a church home like ours, right? So we are your church, wherever you are. But you don't know, really, as a Methodist, you're supposed to be here all along. Today is the state day for John and Charles Wesley. Did anybody know that? They are the founders of the Methodist church. Did anybody know that? Yep. Did you know that they were moved to be better Christians because of Martin Luther? Well, good girl. Don't ruin my story. Okay, you just be quiet now. Okay. <laughs> I'm doing the preaching here. Okay. But John and Charles West John and Charles Wesley, today's their Saints Day. And John Wesley, who you know him, he wrote a lot of hymns in our thing, and he started the Methodist Church and was part of this big revival in England, found his faith through Martin Luther, or refound his faith through Martin Luther, which is so interesting. So I just want to tell you about it. His dad was an Anglican pastor who he kind of was a non-Puritan thing, and they had a little animosity between them. I know I'm not telling you exactly the right way, but he got in so much trouble. John and Charles Wesley's dad had, they had 15 children, and so their mom was busy, and their dad was raising a lot of problems. And when John Wesley was six years old, his parishioners got so mad at their pastor, at their dad, that they burned down their rectory the parsonage. <laughs> I leave that with you as not a very good idea. This, it's not the most Christian response to a bad sermon that I've ever heard. Okay. And that had a deep impact on his life because he was saved from that fire. And he went to Oxford and um, started to study the scriptures and his parents were very much about his intelligence. Well then, um, his father had been one of the key supporters in 1735 for the colony of Georgia. Now I don't know if you know that when Georgia was established, it was founded for debtors. You know, much like England sent all their criminals to Australia, we got all their four credit people in Georgia. So if anybody ever tells you that they're one of the founding families of Georgia, you can go, oh, ah. Uh -huh. 
And the governor of this colony, namely um, James Oglethorpe, invited Wesley to come to be its chaplain and to spread the gospel to the natives and the colonists. And he frankly confessed that the chief reason that he went to Savannah was to save his own soul. I hope, this was his, this is Wesley's line, I hope to learn the true sense of the gospel of Christ by preaching it to the heathen. Well, shockingly enough, that wasn't very successful. <laughs> Not really good to call your flock heathen, I've learned. Anyway, the project proved a fiasco partly due to the disillusionment over the lack of spiritual discipline among his prisoners. I mean, after all, these were not the high society types. And also because he had a love affair with a young woman who jilted him. So after three years, he returned to England and he reproached himself over and over and over again, declaring that he was a carnal, sold under sin in a vile, abject state of bondage to sin. And he said, and he was altogether corrupt and abominable. In other words, he didn't feel very good about himself. And he further said, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? Well, on his journey to America, he met a company of German Moravians, you know, they're kind of like Quakers, sort of. And on February 7th, one Moravian, when he was back in England, invited him to come to a meeting at Aldersgate on May 24, 1738. And he was converted during the reading of Luther's, Martin Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans. And this is what he said. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. It's interesting, he notes the time. About a quarter before nine, while, the reader, while Luther was describing the change that God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my own heart strangely warmed. And I felt that I did trust Christ. Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins even mine, and save me from the law of sin and death. He was so moved by this that he talked to his brother Charles about it. He said, I was so thoroughly convinced by, about the grace of God that I was resolved to seek it to the very end of my life. And Charles then said, he fell into a dispute about what had happened to him. And Charles then recorded in discovered two days later Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians. And as he read from it, he was astonished to say I, that I should ever think justification by faith alone is a new doctrine. From this time forward, I endeavored to ground as many of our friends as came in this fundamental truth, salvation by faith alone. Charles recorded that Luther had been such a great blessing to him and that he considered that moment to be his own Pentecost. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? I thought it was so interesting, and it was interesting to me that both of them came unwillingly to a meeting, to a grouping of the saints. They came unwillingly to church. They put themselves in the way of the gospel and were there when the Holy Spirit 
awakened within them the faith that transformed not only their lives, but the life of the world. So my very last reason for why we should be coming to church is we never know what's going to happen here. We never know from Sunday to Sunday or Wednesday to Wednesday or council meeting to council meeting or conversation to conversation, one to another, out during fellowship time or any time. We as a family or individual members of it get together. We never know. We never know what God might do in that moment. They might even con convert a Methodist to being a good Lutheran. Open yourselves up to the opportunity and invite those that you love and those who you want to love to come to an expectant moment to be present, to see what God might do. Invite them to church. Amen. So, we're going to sing Amazing Grace. If you would please stand for that.